0: The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Uh, it was just very exciting, and the, if you don't know a lot about it, we are this morning in Genesis chapter 26, 27, and 28. <laughs> Uh, Only two verses in chapter 26, so don't panic too much. To the very end of 26 and the very beginning of 28, uh, the story of stolen blessing, of uh, Jacob uh, stealing the blessing away from Esau. And uh, it it is a bit of a long story, but I want to read through it. Uh, Reading the Bible is a good thing, amen? Amen. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> you don't sound very convinced. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll try to make it. I'll try to animate it as much as I can. Okay. Uh, and uh, if we can go to the next slide, guys. Uh, I put the the uh, in the Hebrew text. The, the 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 story is very neatly arranged in in a chiasmus or a kind of reversal order poem, with parallel sections. It be both begins and ends with uh, Esau marrying, in the first place, a Hittite, because they're not Jews, uh, somebody, some of the local girls. And the end, he ends up marrying an Ishmaelite. And you can kind of see the parallel structure. The center of the story is uh, Isaac blessing Jacob. And in, in these kind of Hebrew stories, the center is always the main point, or the most significant or weighty part of the story. Okay? So you can kind of keep that structure in mind as we read through it together. At the age of 40, which consequently was the same age, if you remember, when uh, Abraham sent to fetch a wife for his son Isaac, right? Okay, so at age 40, important detail, Esau married two Hittite wives, Judith, the daughter of Biri, and Basimath, the daughter of Elon. Uh, but Esau's wives made life miserable for Isaac and Rebekah. Okay, and you got to ask the question, why did um, Esau marry these local women? If you remember, Abraham warned his servant, do not let Isaac marry one of these local Canaanite girls. You must go back to our family and get a wife. So the question is, why did Esau marry these girls? One of two possibilities. Either Esau refused the counsel and advice of his parents who encouraged him to go find a wife uh, from family back in uh, Pedan Aram, or uh, Isaac... Didn't take the responsibility as his father Abraham had done, in finding a wife for his sons. All right, uh, we don't know which of those options, maybe some combination of both. Uh, either case, it says Esau's wives made life miserable for Isaac and Rebekah. Okay, so I guess how what was wrong with these girls, but they they were I guess apparently not fun to be around. One day, when Isaac was old and turning blind, he called for Esau, his older son, and said. "'My son.' "'Yes, Father,' Esau replied. "'I am now an old man,' Isaac said, "'and I don't know when I may die.'" Okay, now just a footnote here. Uh, this, this, is, this is the beginning of a deathbed blessing, okay? A deathbed blessing was a, a common thing in the Old Testament times. We see it many times in Scripture and in that culture. And the picture is you're on your deathbed, okay? You, you're starting to see angels or el- pink elephants or something, there are warning signs that life is about to end. And you would call in all your family and you would give a blessing. Okay, notice what he, what Isaac says. He says, I don't know when I'm going to die. But I'm feeling old. Now, the fact is he lives for 20 more years. 20 more years. Hardly his deathbed, okay? Important detail. Um, I don't know when I'm going to die. But take your bow and a quiver full of arrows and go out into the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare my favorite dish that I love and bring it here for me to eat. Then, after I'm fat and happy, then I will pronounce the blessing that belongs to you, my firstborn son, before I die. <laughs> A little dramatic there, okay? But Rebecca overheard what Isaac had said to her s- Okay, and get this, okay. Rebecca overheard what Isaac has said to his son Esau. So when Esau left to hunt for the wild game, she said to her son Jacob. Okay, interesting family dynamic here. They happen to be twins. Believe it or not, Isaac and Rebecca are actually married, and technically they are both both of their children. However, in this story, there's been kind of an in house divorce and they've divided children. Okay, he got the you know Isaac got Esau, and apparently Jacob uh, belongs to Rebekah. She said to her son, Listen, I overheard your father say to Esau, Bring me some wild game and prepare me a delicious meal. Then I will bless you in the Lord's presence before I die. (laughs) She thinks to herself, (laughs) Now, my son, listen to me. Do exactly as I tell you. Go out to the flocks and bring me two fine young goats. I will use them to prepare your father's favorite dish. Then take the food to your father so he can eat it and bless you before he dies. But look, Jacob replied to Rebecca, my brother Esau is a hairy man and my skin is smooth. What if my father touches me? He'll see that I am trying to trick him and then he'll curse me instead of blessing me. Okay, uh, Jacob is a man of high moral integrity and principles here. He says, I'm not going to do this, I'll get caught. okay. <laughs> Okay, not not. Well, mom, isn't this kind of being dishonoring to father? Isn't this kind of like dissing him? No, just like I don't want to do this and get caught because then he'll curse me, right? But as mother replied, let the curse fall on me, my son. Just do what I tell you. Go out and get the ghosts for me. She commands him, by the way, and it's interesting. Uh, in, the, in the Hebrew, it uses the word commands him. It's the only time in the whole Old Testament all all of Old Testament writings where the word command is used with a female. Okay? So tell us a little bit about her personality. Okay? So, Jacob went out and got the young goats for his mother. Rebekah took them and prepared a delicious meal just the way Isaac liked it. Then she took Esau's favorite clothes, which were there in the house, and gave them to her younger son, Jacob. She covered his arms and the smooth part of his neck with the skin of the young goats. Then she gave Jacob the delicious meal, including freshly baked bread, nice extra added touch on the side. So Jacob took the food to his father. My father, he said. Yes, my son, Isaac answered. Who, who are you, Esau or Jacob? Jacob replied, it's Esau, your firstborn son. I have done as you told me. Here is the wild game. Now sit up and eat it so you can give me your blessing." Isaac asked, hmm, how did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord your God put it in my path, Jacob replied. I love the spiritual answer. He's been to Sunday school. (laughs) Then Isaac said to Jacob, come closer so I can touch you and make sure you really are Isaac. This is a family just oozing with trust, right? Just oozing with trust. Um... So Jacob went closer to his father and Isaac touched him. The voice is Jacob's, but the hands are Esau's, Isaac said, but he did not recognize Jacob because Jacob's hands felt hairy just like Esau's. So Isaac prepared to bless Jacob. "But are you really my son, Esau," he asked? "Yes, I mean, yes, I am," Jacob replied. <clears throat> then Isaac said, Now, my son, bring me the wild game. Let me eat it, and then I will give you my blessing. So Jacob took the food to his father, and and Isaac ate it. He also drank the wine that Jacob served him. And then he drank some more wine and a couple extra glasses just for good measure. Because for this ploy to work, the more wine, the better. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come a little closer, my son, and kiss me. So Jacob went over and kissed him. And when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes... He was finally convinced, and he blessed his son. He said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of the outdoors, which the Lord has blessed. From the dew of heaven and the richness of the earth, may God always give you abundant harvests of grain and bountiful new wine. May many nations become your servants, and may they bow down to you. May you be the master over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. All who curse you will be cursed, and all who bless you will be blessed. This, of course, is uh, in some ways uh, a a paraphrase of God's original promise to Abraham. However, it's modified in some key and significant ways. Uh, We won't really go into detail now. But it also adds in the birth oracle that Rebekah received. Remember when uh, when, when, uh, Esau and Jacob were born... God told Rebekah that the younger would rule over the older. Uh, ironically, uh, Isaac covers that one, right? He says, You will be the master over your brothers. Your sons will, uh, your, uh, your mother's sons, okay, without naming names, she only has one besides this one, your mother's sons will bow down to you, okay? What's Isaac doing here? Okay, he is defying God's oracle at their birth, right? He is making sure that he gets his way. Right? As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and almost before Jacob had left his father, Esau returned from his hunt, okay? So here is the tension. He walks out, you know, Isaac walks out one side of the tent and Esau comes around the other. It was close. Uh, Esau prepared a delicious meal and brought it to his father. Then he said, sit up, my father, and eat my wild game so you can give me your blessing. But Isaac asked him, who are you? Esau replied, "It's, it's your son, your firstborn son, Esau. Isaac began to tremble uncontrollably and said, then who just served me wild game? I have already eaten it, and I blessed him just before you came. And yes, that blessing must stand. When Esau heard his father's words, he let out a loud and bitter cry. Oh, my father, what about me? Bless me too, he begged. But Isaac said, Your brother was here, and he tricked me. He has taken away your blessing. Esau exclaimed, No wonder his name is Jacob, for now he has cheated me twice. First he took my rights as the firstborn, and now he has stolen my blessing. Oh, haven't you saved even one blessing for me? Ironically, in Isaac's zeal to bless only Esau, he ironically does the exact opposite. Uh, the, the, The picture of the deathbed blessing is that the whole family would come in, And he should have blessed both his sons, right? But he does this in secret. He does it in private. He schemes and he plots. He gives all the blessing to Jacob. And ironically, there is nothing left for Esau. He said, I have made Jacob your master and have declared all all his brothers will be his servants. I have guaranteed him an abundance of grain and wine What is left for me to give you, my son? Esau pleaded, But do you have only one blessing? Bless me too. Then Esau broke down and wept. Finally his father Isaac said to him, You will live far away from the riches of the earth and away from the dew of the heaven above. You will live by your sword and you will serve your brother. But when you decide to break free, you will shake his yoke from your neck. From that time on, Esau hated Jacob because their father had given Jacob the blessing. And Esau began to scheme. I will soon be mourning my father's death. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But Rebekah heard about Esau's plans, so she sent for Jacob and told him, Listen, Esau is consoling himself by plotting to kill you. So listen carefully, my son. Get ready and flee to my brother Laban in Haran. Stay there with him until your brother cools off. When he calms down and forgets what you have done to him, I will send for you to come back. Why should I lose both of you in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I am sick and tired of these local Hittite women. I would rather die than see Jacob marry one of them. So Isaac called for Jacob, blessed him, and said, You must not marry any of these Canaanite women. Instead, go at once to Padan Aram, to the house of your grandfather Bethuel, And marry one of your uncle Laban's daughters. May God bless you, may God Almighty bless you, and give you many children, and may your descendants multiply and become many nations. May God pass on to you, your descendants, uh, you and your descendants, the blessing He promised to Abraham. May you own this land where you are now living as a foreigner, for God gave this land to Abraham. Amazing turnaround on on, uh, Isaac's part. Uh, he now recognized that Jacob is the heir of promise. Uh, he restates the promise, only this time he says it much more closely to the original promise that God spoke to Abraham. <coughs> uh, and the story ends, So Isaac sent Jacob away and he went to Padan Aram to stay with his uncle Laban, his mother's brother, the son of Bethuel the Aramean. Esau knew that his father Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him to Padan Aram to find a wife and that he had warned Jacob, you must not marry a Canaanite woman. He also knew that Jacob had obeyed his parents and gone. It was now very clear to Esau that his father did not like the local Canaanite women. So Esau visited his uncle Ishmael's family and married one of Ishmael's daughters, in addition to the wives he already had. His new wife's name was Mahalath. She was the daughter of Nebioth, the daughter of Ishmael's, Ishmael, Abraham's son. <clears throat> um, there's the story great story of a very dysfunctional family right? Uh, there's just not a lot redeeming in this story in fact uh, God is, is, is in, in an explicit sense God's almost absent from this story uh, we certainly see his hand in and behind the scenes but there's n- really not a lot redeeming in this story um it's a very dysfunctional family. And uh, uh, l- let me do this just to kind of help us glean some principles out of this. Um, I want to just kind of go through the four main character- characters <coughs> and point out, <coughs> out kind of their main dysfunctions, right? Uh, the way they are using and misusing each other for their own personal ends and gains. So first of all let's look at, at Isaac the dad of the family the patriarch uh, I call I call Isaac the addict Now I don't know that I don't know or think that he was a drug addict or an alcoholic necessarily um, but the one thing that we know about Isaac that's repeated not only here but in in earlier when the boys were born is that that Isaac loved to eat. and He didn't like to eat just anything. He liked to eat certain specific things. Specifically, he liked to eat wild game, right? And uh, the whole kind of part of e- Isaac's part of the story revolves around his dinner, right? He says, look, I think I'm dying being translated. Man, I haven't had that wild roast goat for a long time. And this is going to be a good excuse for me to get some, right? I'm going to use my son Esau, who has proved to be very faithful at this meeting my needs. Right? He's a guy who is consumed by his own selfish appetites. And that's what makes him an addict. Right? An addict is a person whose life is driven by their fleshly appetites, whatever it is. Right? It can be a lot of different things. But it means that they are stuck in a very childish, juvenile state where everything about their life revolves around what they Feel like they need to feed their fleshly lusts and desires, right? For Isaac, it's it's food, right? He loves to eat, right? uh, <clears throat> And as a result of this um, behavior, his need to feed himself, he has uh, shown partiality or favoritism towards Esau. Okay, Esau happens to be a good hunter. Uh, Esau has figured out how to cook the food the right way that he likes. And uh, it's interesting, it doesn't actually say it in this translation, but in the Hebrew it says, You know, please give me this food that I love. Okay? This food was the love of his life. And Esau was the means to fulfilling the love of his life. Right? Uh, So he shows favoritism to Esau, uh, but he doesn't really love Esau. Okay? Uh, This is not the kind of favoritism that's born out of a deep love. In fact, favoritism. Is never born out of true love, right? Because true love has compassion heart for all your children. Uh, true love would love both uh, uh, Jacob and Esau, maybe not equally, maybe not in the same ways, but would love them both, would have a heart of compassion for both of them. Uh, but when you use people to, to satisfy your own selfish needs, see, there's no love in that, right? So favoritism is not about love. He cares only about Esau because Esau, because of what Esau can do for him, right? what Esau can give him. At the same time, he has no use whatever for Jacob. Right? No use at all for Jacob. And this whole thing on, on uh, Isaac's part is a scheme to feed his addictive, his, his cravings of his flesh. Right? Uh, he secretly sets up this deathbed blessing and he does it in a way that guarantees uh, he will keep this very dysfunctional relationship with Esau and make sure that Jacob gets nothing because he's not important to him. Okay? Uh, How would you like to have a dad like this? Maybe, maybe you feel like you do have a dad like this. Painful, right? Uh, very dysfunctional, very unhealthy. Um, uh, he values his children only to the extent his children meet his own selfish needs. For those of us who are parents, there's a serious warning here to us. Uh, Do we need our kids to be something for our own benefit? Do we need our children to be a certain way or be good at certain things because of how it reflects on us? Do we need our kids to be smart or good athletes or beautiful? Or more importantly... Do we need our kids to be good Christians, right? I mean, many of us are in full-time Christian work. Many of us are in ministry. There's a lot of pressure among churches in the wider Christian world that missionaries have perfect families where the children always do the right thing, right? Amen. And good thing your kids do. There they are, the perfect family. Right. And that's a lot to live up to there, right? That's the model, right? (laughs) There's pressure, right? And sometimes even unconsciously, we can set up this expectation that, look kids, if you don't meet my expectations, if you don't be everything that a perfect Christian kid's supposed to be, then maybe I won't love you. Of course, we would never say that. But how often does that message get unconsciously communicated? Maybe not even intentionally. But it's very easy for kids to pick that up. What if I'm not everything my parents want me to be? Will they love me? Uh, Will they care about me? Uh, Or do I only exist to make my parents look good? Well, that's definitely what was going on in this family. Uh, And and the bottom line is, uh, Isaac is just a very selfish man. At the root of addictive behavior of people who live for the cravings of their own flesh is pure selfishness, self-serving. I just want what I want for myself, and I could care less about anybody else. Even Esau really doesn't count other than how he can meet his own needs, right? Uh, He is self-absorbed. His whole world revolves around himself, right? And the bottom line is Isaac needs to grow up. Interestingly, he's an old man, but it says he's an old man who's grown blind. And the reality, he's blind in more ways than one. Not only can he not see Jacob or Esau, uh, but he can't see the reality of his own foolish behavior. Right? He needs to grow up. Uh, the reality is, all of us are born with youthful lusts. Right? Uh, all of us are born with a flesh that is hungry constantly. And I love in Romans six, uh, Paul uh, actually Romans. Seven. Paul makes it very clear that our flesh will never change. He says our fleshly person will never love God, will never want to do what's right. right? And uh, when we are young and uh, when we first come to Christ, when we're an unbeliever, life is dominated by our flesh, by its appetites, by its cravings and its hunger. That's what drives our life. Uh, And that's where we start out in our Christian walk. But we're not supposed to end there. At some point, we're supposed to start growing up. And just as a small child craves and wants things and lets its body rule it, part of it the process of a child growing up is it learns to put in check those selfish demands. Right? It learns to, uh, to, to discipline itself right? and to not, to not throw temper tantrums. Nothing worse than a 21-year-old on the floor kicking and screaming, throwing a temper tantrum. Just not pretty. right? So we learn to curb some of that. Right? Uh, well, growing up is this process of living less and less by these fleshly desires and living more by the Spirit. At some point, this is how it ought to work with all of us. At some point, we have to come to the realization that our true cravings, the things we're really hungry for, are not the things of the flesh. That those are external and outward things and they p- should point us to something much deeper inside that we're truly hungry for. You see, at some point we should realize that that You know, that delicious meal that I crave so much really isn't doing it for me, right? At this point, I don't even know if he had teeth, you know. I don't know if he had, you can't see, you kind of wonder how his taste buds are working. Is the food really that good? Or is he really craving something much deeper, but he hasn't faced up? He's blind to his own heart and soul. He's blind to the fact that what he's craving for is God's love. Is the bread of heaven. Is the living water that only God can give to quench his thirsty soul. And the sad thing with the, the, the addict, the person who's driven by their flesh, is they never come to that understanding. Right? They live their whole life to their deathbed thinking, if I could just have one more drink, if I could just have one more meal, if I could just have one more beautiful girl, If I could just have one more of this, one more of that, I'll be happy. right? But they get the one more, and they get it again and again and again, and it never brings contentment, right? because they're looking in the wrong place. Uh, Isaac had never learned, he'd never grown up to realize that what he really longed for and needed was God's presence in his life, God's love and grace uh, feeding his very heart and soul. And because he had never come to that place in his life, Uh, He's a people user, right? He's a guy still driven by his own fleshly appetites. And it wreaks havoc on his family, right? And I really, in this story, at first reading, you know, it seems like Rebecca's really kind of the villain in this story, right? I don't think so. I think it's Isaac. I think Isaac is responsible for this mess, right? Because he's a guy who's living for himself and he's sowing in his family seeds of selfishness and self-centeredness and self-seeking. And so he raises a family of self-seeking, self-centered, uh, selfish people. <coughs> That's Isaac. Second one is uh, is Rebecca, and I call her the rescuer. Okay, sounds noble, right? And uh, you, you kind of get this picture of her all the way back, you know, in an earlier story when when the servant goes to uh, to Haran to find her, right? And he's out there and he asks for a drink of water. What does she do? She sees this poor, pathetic servant who's out there just hot and thirsty. And she volunteers not only to give him water, but to water all of his camels. I mean, this is a rescuer. She's just sensitive to people's needs. She's very sensitive to those hurting victims around her. And she sees these poor, sweating, hot camels. And she just, her heart goes out to them. And she goes overboard I mean, she goes all out. You know, it's no small task of water 10 camels. 300 gallons later, she's rescued them, right? That's Rebecca. Uh, and, and now, the, here's the, the situation that's been set up. She's in a family where her husband has shown huge favoritism towards one son and has completely disowned the other, right? Could care less about the other. So which one is Rebecca's rescuing heart going to go toward? Well, the one who needs rescuing, right? And here it is, a project. Okay, here's somebody I can rescue. Yay! I have meaning in life now, okay? Uh, she's excited. And uh, she puts all of her, which she happens to be very bright, very talented, very smart, actually way smarter than Isaac, okay? Isaac should know not to mess with her, okay? Because like when it comes to plotting and scheming, she's, she runs circles around him. He thinks he's being so clever, I think I'm dying. Let me give you my blessing. Oh, man, Rebecca's all over this one, right? No problem. Uh, Now, rescuers need tools, right? Well, her tools are not a rope or a ladder. Her tools are control and manipulation, okay? Miss, I'm in charge. Do as I command, right? She, She has learned, and she's good at it, that the way she can rescue, the way she can save, the way she can keep order is to control everything around her, right? So she knows how to manipulate, she knows how to pull strings, she knows how to work people, she knows how to play the game, she knows how to play the system. Uh, it's interesting, with uh, with Jacob, she she orders him around one place to another. I mean, she's, she's real quick to just order, boss him around. She's smarter than that with Isaac. She knows it doesn't work with him. Later, when she decides Jacob needs to go to uh, Haran to escape, instead of going to Jacob and saying, oh, Jacob, I mean, instead of going to Isaac, oh, Isaac, you know, I think, I think Esau is going to kill Jacob. Because she knows that won't work, right? Instead, she starts complaining, oh, I hate these Hittite women. Because she knows Isaac has the same sore spot, right? And she just kind of stirs that up a little bit and then leaves it there. Oh, I hate these Hittite women. Just kind of drops that little bomb. All of a sudden, Isaac starts thinking. Yeah, I hate these uh, these these Hittite women. They drive me crazy. I, we can't have we can't have Jacob marrying one of these. We got to ship him off, right? See, Re- Re- Rebecca's good. She did not say a word about it, right? Boy, she knows how to work people. She knows how to control. She knows how to manipulate. She is good at this, right? She flat out tricks her husband. Uh, she steals the blessing. She organizes and masterminds this brilliant plot, right? Uh, and um, and it seems noble on one hand until you f- see how far she goes with this, right? She lies to her husband. And she doesn't just lie. She not just, it's such a little white lie. I mean, this is like an all-out major deception, right? You can't, I mean, imagine if your wife did this to you or your husband. How would you feel? You've been like taken to the cleaners by your spouse, Right? <sighs> Um, and the reality is that, that rescuing is really not loving. Okay, It looks like love. Okay, It looks like she's very concerned about Jacob. But at the root of most rescuing dysfunction is the need to to make myself feel in control and important. Right? Uh, does she really love Jacob? Well, I think she probably does in some kind of twisted, distorted, dysfunctional way. But again, it's not true love. True love would not sacrifice one son for the other. And that's exactly what she does, right? Now, I don't know that she intended. I don't think, I don't know that she knew what Isaac was up to. I don't know that she knew that Isaac was plotting to give everything to one son and nothing to the other, and that by her injecting Jacob into the scene, that she would actually be stealing the birthright from Esau. I don't know if she... Knew that or thought that through. But the point is, she's not showing love to her husband. She's not showing love to Esau. And in the end, she's really not showing true love to Jacob. Rescuing is not loving. It, it in the end, is also really quite self-serving. It's finding our needs met by being in control and uh, manipulating things to our own design and end. Very selfish. Also, controlling is not trusting, right? It's interesting. God spoke directly to her at the birth of her sons and told her, this is what's going to happen. Your younger son is going to rule over your older son. She doesn't trust that promise, right? Um, When we don't trust God, uh, we need to be in control to make sure God's will gets done, right? 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 When you're a controlling person, what it means is, I don't really believe God's powerful enough to do his will. So I'll just come along and help him out, right? I'll just make sure God's purpose is done. Right? Well, there's no trust in that. Right? Uh, and that, in the end, is a, is a huge failure. In fact, when we look at the life of Abraham, God said, I credit to you, Abraham, righteousness. I count you in right relationship with me through one thing only. Through what? Through faith. It says, you have believed in me, you have trusted in me, therefore, I count you right with relationship with me. Right? To not trust God is a fatal error. Is a fatal error. And in her controlling, manipulating behavior, she is proving she does not trust God. She can't let God work it out on his own, okay God needs his help, her help. <clears throat> well, let me come to Esau. Uh, I call Esau the the performer, right uh, He's a typical older firstborn child who has learned how to survive life by being a people pleaser right uh, and it's not an accident that he's a good hunter and knows how to cook his father's favorite dish, right. Early on, he has realized that dad likes certain things, and if I do what dad likes, life goes well. If you don't do what dad likes, life does not go well. So he's been conditioned to be a person who pleases his father. That's how he lives. Uh, Dad expects things, dad wants things, dad demands things, and he's organized his whole life to be that kind of person. Right? Dad wants a hunter, I'll be a hunter. Dad wants a hunter who cooks well, I'll be a hunter who cooks well. Uh, dad, yeah, I love this. You know, The story starts out, he goes off and marries these Hittite women. Only at the end of the story does, he, does it dawn on him that his dad really wasn't real happy about this. right? So what does he do? Well, he goes to his cousin Ishmael's family, and he finds an Ishmaelite because she's family and brings her home. I'd love to see this marriage proposal. You know, honey, I don't love you. In fact, I don't even think I like you. But would you marry me because it would make my dad really happy? <laughs> okay, well, who would do that, right? Well, that's exactly what he does, right? Because why? Because he needs another wife? No, because he needs to please his father, right? He's a pleaser. He's a people pleaser. He's a performer. He's built his whole life uh, on trying to do... And live up to people's expectations. But again, the motive is not love. Right? He is not pleasing his father because he loves his father. He's pleasing his father. Why? So he'll get the blessing. Right? It's all about being selfish. Okay, I'm going to do what I need to do to get the blessing from my father. Right? People pleasers are driven by selfish motives. Right? It's not love to please people. When your intention is simply to get from them what you need from them. Uh, and in this story, uh, Esau is all about pleasing, but not everybody. He's only about pleasing his father. Right? Nobody else counts. Uh, he doesn't go to his father when his father says, I want to give you my blessing. He doesn't say, well, yeah, but what about my brother? I don't want to leave him out. He's my little brother. I love my little brother. Okay, none of that. <laughs> right? He gladly goes along with his father's scheme gladly cuts his brother out, right? In the end, when he's robbed of his blessing, what is his attitude towards his brother? I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill that brother. When my dad's gone, and you know, that was his only consolation, okay? His only comforting thought was how he was going to kill his brother. And in the book of Genesis, that really aligns him with Cain, who slew Abel, right? Not a good, not a good place to be, not a good place to be. Uh, he is selfish he doesn 't care about those who cannot reward him and it 's interesting. never once in the story does it say he does anything to please his mom. Right? He gets wives to please his dad, not his mom could care less about mom right he 's a beautiful pleaser uh, sadly, uh, you know I think a lot of Christianity is living like esau okay it 's this idea that I've got to be what God wants me to be so that God will bless me, right? I've got to live up to God's expectations so that God will bless me, okay? I've got to jump through all the hoops that Christians are supposed to jump through because if I do that, then maybe God will be nice to me, right? Oh, so much Christianity can be boiled down to that. Um, we long to please God. But we don't really long to please God because we love Him. We long to please God because we need to be approved by God. Right? We need God to say, Wow, you're a good hunter. I love the way you cook. Right? Uh, and that's not true love. Right? A father's love for a child is to love them simply because they're, they're, they're your child. God loves you because you are his child. There is nothing you can ever do to improve on that. There is nothing you can ever do to take away from that. God's love for you is perfect. Uh, no matter how good, how bad, how much you do or don't do, God's love never changes. We've got to be very careful we don't reduce God's love into this kind of relationship where we perform the Christian duties so that God will somehow approve us. Lastly, uh, Jacob, I call the con man, okay? He's just a con man. Uh, the good thing about Jacob is he doesn't need to pretend. He knows he's a loser. Right? He knows he's not a good person. Okay? He, he doesn't, he's not like Esau, trying to pretend and trying to make himself everything. He knows he can't meet his father's expectations, so he doesn't even try. Uh, but he found a shortcut, okay? You don't have to be Esau. You just have to dress like him. <laughs> right? I don't have to be a good person. I just have to, when it's convenient, put on the right clothes. Right? I just have to look good when it counts. And he pulls this one off well. He is a deceiver to the core, which means that he knows how to put on the face that people want to see. Right? Inside he knows he's rotten to the core, but it doesn't matter. He knows how to pretend to be what people want. Right? Right? Whereas Esau works for it, Jacob takes a shortcut. I just put on the mask, right? Again, uh, there's no love in that. And, and he doesn't even fake love, right? He doesn't even pretend to love. He's, he, he knows he's out of that loop, okay? He knows he's the, the child who's been tossed away. Uh, again, uh, it's so easy for Christianity to fall into this. You know, it's so easy for us to play the game of knowing we're not a good person, but knowing that when we show up on Sunday morning, people expect us to wear a mask. So we put on the mask, right? Instead of being genuine people who are authentic and real, we just con people into being what we think they want. Uh, We live life behind the mask. Uh, The mask of whatever we think people want to see. well how do you cure this what is a cure for dysfunction well real briefly let me just give you four quick things first of all uh, one thing and as you read through this story there's just some things some huge things that we ought to say this is just really missing something something is missing when we read this story first thing that's missing is nobody's trusting God here right first cure to dysfunction in our life is we need to trust. learn to trust God. Right? Uh, it's amazing in this story, in spite of everything, in spite of all this dis- dis- dysfunction, twisted, scheming, lying, cheating, stealing, in the end, what happens? Well, in the end, what happens is exactly God's perfect will. Amazing, right? Uh, and and amazing, and and, it kind of messes with your head a little, actually, if you think about this too much. It's like, how could God bless these people? And most of all, how could he bless Jacob? Why did God choose Jacob? I don't know. But in his sovereign plan and will and purpose, all of this craziness does not derail God's sovereign plan. In the end, what is, is exactly what God said would be, and exactly as God said it would be, exactly according to his purpose and will. We need to learn to trust God's power to accomplish his purpose, right? And not based on what we do or don't do, right? There's huge hope in this, and there's really is huge good news for us. And the good news is this you can't mess up God's will in your life, okay? Do you believe that? I don't care how stupid things you do or I do, how far we walk away the wrong direction, you can't mess up God's will in your life. Okay? God's purpose, in the end, will be done. Right? And, uh, it's, and I love the brilliance of this story because it really is a great picture of both God's sovereign will and our free choice. Okay? Our free choice gets us in tons of trouble. Right? Uh, we do have a will, and our will is usually not a good thing. But praise God, God's will is more powerful, right? And you cannot derail his plan. Now, a lot of you are thinking, well, yeah, but does that mean we just go off do? That's just not right, <laughs> right? Well, we cannot derail God's will, but but there are wages for sin, okay? Uh, there's an easy way to do God's will, and there's a hard way, okay? This would be the hard way, <laughs> okay? Uh, it's interesting, uh, if you go through the story, every one of them pays a huge price for their foolishness, right? Isaac has this great scheme that he's going to bless the socks off Esau and cut Jacob, uh, cut Jacob out. What happens? The exact opposite. The exact opposite, right? And he paid a price for it. He paid a huge price. In the end, he lost... Esau, because now, you know, he can't bless Esau, so what good is he, you know, what good is dad to Esau now? He loses Jacob, who has to flee for his life. Uh, I think he lost his wife a long time ago. Uh, Certainly this was not great for their marriage, right? There are wages for sin, right? Rebecca, her whole goal in this is to save Jacob, but she ends up sending him away. She hopes for a few days, but it turns out being 20 years, she dies before he returns, she never sees her son again. Right? She rescues him, but to what end? She loses him. Right? In the end, she loses him. The wages of sin, right? Um, you know, Esau—he just loses all the way around, uh, trying to please his father to get the blessing, instead of trusting God for the blessing that was—that uh, was there for him. Right? Um, Jacob. Uh, again, loses, loses his mom, He and we'll learn more about Jacob's troubles. This is only the beginning of his dealing with the wages of his sin. Uh, the wages of sin. Uh, we need to confront the wages of sin, and we need to confront our own dysfunction. The reality is that all of us have dysfunctional things in our life. Right? If you don't believe it, there are lots of good counselors sitting right in this room who can help you discover your own dysfunction. Go see them. Go talk to them. They can help you a lot. <laughs> right? uh, third thing, we need to understand God's grace. We've got to come to grips with that. You know, uh, And this story is, is such a twisted story, but the twistedness of it makes God's grace that much more incredible. Because, in spite of all this, when it's all done and the dust clears, God blesses Jacob. And God says, I'm going to make you great. I'm going to do everything for you that I was going to do for Abraham. You know, Abraham trusted me. You're just a loser. But I'm going to love you and bless you anyway. I am going to do incredible things in your life and in your family because I love you. Right? I love you and I have a purpose for your life. They um, had a purpose for Esau's life as well. You know, uh, Don't think that because Esau lost this blessing that God did not love him. Okay? God makes him into a great nation. And throughout the Old Testament, God protects Edom, the nation of the Edomites. And even though they are at conflict with Israel, uh, God does not destroy them. And he has a purpose and a plan for Esau as well. It is by his grace though. It is by His grace. Um, What this family needed more than anything was a huge dose of grace. They needed grace. Lastly, uh, we need to learn to love. Uh, Where we do not have grace, we cannot love others. The only cure for our sinful selfishness is to be so filled with God's love and goodness that we now have some love to actually give others. Uh, you see, when we don't believe and trust in, lo- in God's love, we will selfishly uh, be consumed with meeting my own needs. But when I come to grips with the fact that God is a loving Father who loves me in- infinitely, and whose longing desire is to truly fill my deepest needs for love and joy and peace uh, and to to satisfy the deepest longings of my heart and soul. When we come to grips with that, and we really believe it and experience it, there's a new peace and freedom to give. Before that, we can only take. And, And this family was a family of takers, taking, taking, taking. Until God's love invades our life, and we really experience the overwhelming generosity of his grace and love, we will be takers. But the more we come to grasp God's infinite love to us and in us, we can then learn to be like God, people who can give freely. Uh, Imagine how this story would have been different if they would have been a loving family. If Isaac would have said, you know, Esau, Jacob, I love you both so much. You're so different, but I love what's unique about both of you. And I just can't wait to bless you both with the riches of what God's done in my life. God's blessed me with all this wealth and I can't wait to bless you as well. And uh, you know, for Rebecca to say, yeah, I love you too and I just want to rescue everybody in love, right? And for Esau to say, I love my brother. I'm so thankful to have a twin brother who I love and who cares like my soul brother, to have relationship, to live life together, to share God's blessing and riches together. right? how different their family would have been. How different. Let's pray. Father, truly, your love does make all the difference in the world. And uh, without it, life is petty, is small, is divisive, um, is, is wickedly cruel. Lord, when we get consumed with our own selfish desires, it's ugly. But Lord, your love is transforming. And Lord, we're here because we've been touched by your grace and your love. And Lord, we, we need more of it. Lord, help us come to the mature place in our life. Where we realize that our deepest cravings and hungerings are not the trifling desires of the flesh but the eternal and deep longings of our heart and soul to be filled with you, to be filled with your love and your peace and your joy and your goodness and your kindness. Lord, we thank you so much that Jesus made all that possible through the cross, that the gospel is about God redeeming our broken and selfish lives and filling us with the abundance of your grace that through the cross you have now been able to pour out in us the Holy Spirit and we have a new power and capacity for loving and giving and serving each other and for receiving your love. So, Lord, we pray for that work in our life. Lord, heal our brokenness and dysfunction. Make us real people who are not performing for you, but are loving you and obeying you out of our deep gratitude and thankfulness. Lord, we praise and worship you. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.